everybody. Thanks for listening to Power Athlete Radio. This week, Matt Belon joins us from Harvard University. In this episode, Matt catches up with John for a bit before addressing his pretty controversial comments at the Ancestral Health Symposium a few years ago. Then, of course, we bring up the inevitable discussion. The discussion of paleo, gluten, and performance continues. Find out why Matt went one year without brushing his teeth and his knowledge of pop culture trivia. All this and more on Power Athlete Radio. I'm your mother, I'm your this is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. What's up, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to Power Athlete Radio, episode 79. Today we have Matt Lalonde, the Kraken, the man amongst men. Joining us to lay down some science on nutrition, uh, the human metabolism, and performance. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing good. How are you guys? We're doing doing well. Right. I should introduce uh, the rest of the crew, right? As always, freaking John Wellborn, the man. The man. Actually, I think he counts for two, maybe 2.5. <laughs> right? Well, it, it and, all depends uh, on how you measure yourself against other men. I like to do it by height, so therefore I would be twice the man the longest. Is, uh, Matt you know, when, uh, when John asked me to do this podcast, I was like, yeah, you know, there's so many of these stupid podcasts nowadays, and every approachable topic has been breached. Why would I waste my time doing this? But then just the, 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 you know, mention or thought of, you know, having 300 pounds of, of pure muscle fall down on me like a, a ton of bricks and be like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Oh, Lalonde, you know that I am probably one of two people on this planet that can get you to do a podcast. The other one's that little nerd in Reno. So uh, all these people out there are like, God, I can't wait to get Lalonde on my weekly podcast to talk about stuff. And you know what? This is all you're going to hear. You're going to send him an email, and he's just going to delete it, because you know why? He's in a lab doing shit. No. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, at the end of these podcasts, people often ask, hey, you know, to the to the guest, how can we contact you? And I'll tell you re- right now, please don't. Just don't. That's <laughs> <laughs> also our contact. I, I, will, I will delete your email. I will, I will cordially ignore you. Uh, the only people that I somewhat have to deal with are the ones that surprisingly show up in my office while they're visiting the, offered camp- the, the Harvard campus, and they get escorted out by security. <laughs> Matt's got a little red button like this right is, underneath his desk that he just pushes. This when... is why we call him, have dubbed him the Kraken, yeah. because uh, you don't unleash the Kraken. I mean, I, um, I'm sure we can get into some funny stories, but uh, Matt and I met a number of years ago, and... Lay was pretty hilarious, actually. Matt, if you guys don't know, Matt, for those people that actually go out and teach seminars and kind of do what we do, Matt is your, I guess, I don't even know what you call it, your worst-case scenario. So let's say you you know, you have a seminar, this guy just randomly signs up, you don't really know much about him, and he's sitting out in the audience, and all of a sudden you start making some preposterous claims, and all of a sudden you see this little hand shoot up, and he just all of a sudden just fucking crackens you off at the knees which is actually what happened at a seminar, uh, a pretty big seminar series. Matt actually decided to show up to a seminar, and when they got into the nutrition talk and started talking about the 
balancing the macronutrients will effectively safeguard you from any problems. Uh, Matt just went fucking cracking on them. So hearing the story secondhand, um, and then actually meeting Matt through Rob Wolf, I ended up hitting Matt and inviting him out to our seminar just as a you know quality control. I wanted to hear the information and you know let me know where the holes were and what was good and what was bad and help me develop the seminar into what it is today. And uh, Matt came out and picked him up, stayed at the house, and we set up to probably about two or three in the morning working on the nutrition talk. And then uh, we uh, ended up giving the seminar, and he gave me great feedback and really helped kind of uh, offer quality control and really, hey, this is this is good, this is bad, this is where you need to, to go. I mean, this is the wheelhouse, and this is where you go, and really helped us evolve uh, the seminar into what you guys have seen for the CrossFit football and really helped the methodology and what we've really done with uh, the nutrition stuff. So Matt has been an invaluable resource and a, a, a great friend to me in the program for a number of years. And I've been glad to participate in the in the cert. It's been an awesome cert, and I'm sure that it's even better now than uh, it was years ago. Yeah, well, the um, uh, those of you guys listening that were at that seminar got to hear uh, Matt, who I asked to get up and talk a little bit on nutrition, and we roughly gave him somewhere around 45 to 50 minutes to talk, and roughly three and a half hours later, after he'd given a complete dissertation on not only like the endocrine system, the metabolism, the human body, and all of its workings, to a bunch of people that really don't have a science background, the look on people's faces was like they had just drank from a fire hose of fire. <laughs> was that and, the one at Newport Beach? Uh, yeah, it was actually in Orange uh, at, a, I think, somewhere, some CrossFit in Orange. Oh, and it was, uh, it was, was numbers, like 787 or something. Yeah, yeah CrossFit 714. Things there we go. And there was a guy, actually, who was a... Um, who had come to our seminar? Who was uh, like a you know last year pharmacy student, and he like walks over after like 20 minutes, and he's like, honestly, I'm uh, I'm a pharmacist, and, and like I've never heard any of this stuff. Like this is so far above what I I, I even know. And then this nice lady. That guy that was really with, strong though. He, oh yeah, 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 super strong. He's the guy that holds the record on calcium. He did calcium in like 12 minutes. Oh, oh yeah, that guy's watts for reps was absolutely insane. Yeah, Travis. Isn't was, there an inverse relationship between like strength and intelligence? No, because the lawn's strong as shit. I'm not telling you, like like Lon's a fucking nerd, but like he by by far one of the most jack strongest nerds I've ever I've ever met, or per people in general. Like he came to, I wasn't he, he's talking come to our seminar on a couple times, <laughs> and I remember the one you came to in Connecticut. Dude, we were fucking squatting singles, and the lawn's like a 0.8 meters per second guy on every single lift. So yeah. extremely twitchy, very explosive. Uh, the only thing I would I would rip on him on was his choice in, of uh, of those uh, five finger gloves that you were trying to sprint in, which was just ugly. <laughs> yeah, I don't wear those anymore. Yeah, uh, you know, then, but I'm an experimentalist. I try things. Well, I think the other one is is Lalonde, uh got to do some racing against T Rose, and T Rose was a professional baseball player and played at a pretty high level. You know, good, good athlete, done this stuff, and uh, Lalonde was smoking him on the sprints. Oh yeah. And, and all of a sudden, Jaybird's like, "You let, you're letting the scientist, the the, the doctor from Harvard, <laughs> beat you?" And he's like, "This fucking guy's fast." So it was uh, it was a pretty good seminar, man. That was uh, that, that was hilarious, and it was good to see Matt and uh, have him come out and really do that. So. Um, that's how Matt and I met, and Matt's been to the seminar numerous times. Actually, the only person to ever come to my seminar that brought me a lunch, and it was probably the most amazing lunch I've ever had. It was like 
uh, three-year-old uh, aged cheese. It was like a, a like a sausage of like dried boar meat. I mean, it was crazy. Lon shows up with this like epic feast, and I'm like, oh my god. He's like, oh yeah, that uh that prosciutto's like uh, fifty dollars a pound. This is I mean, this is epic meal. I'm like, this is the best thing we've ever had. So, <laughs> uh, holds, holds that distinction. Oh well, doing some research on uh, on Lalan, I, I is lunch still one of your biggest meals of the day? Uh, uh, it probably is, but uh, I yeah, I've changed a lot since you know, I last spoke, I guess, online to to anybody. I was experimenting with you know eating twice a day, maybe a little bit of intermittent fasting or or borderline intermittent fasting, and what I found is that that you know if you're really low key, relaxed not super busy kind of guy and you have plenty of time to sleep that might work well but uh, if you're really busy and fairly athletic I would say three times eating three times a day is probably ideal so I started eating breakfast again and my lunch and dinner are probably equivalent in size now I used to eat very little in fact too little for dinner um, and sure enough when I started eating that way meaning increasing the amount of, of calories that I ate uh, the food quality has always been always been good. I uh, I performed much better in the lab uh, in in the lab in the in the gym, and uh, and the strength has gone up. But uh, to to go back to strength though, um, I I am pleased with my numbers. But I, unfortunately, that is the only thing I have. I'm so far on the fast twitch extreme that I have no endurance, uh, which is why I I never was a a good CrossFitter. No, Matt's uh, extremely twitchy. I know when we were even testing some uh, some high rep stuff, like he's like a 0.8 meters per second guy, yeah. like super fast switch on his one RMs, and then all of a sudden you add five pounds and he doesn't get it. You're like, yeah. how did you go or, from Or you ask me to path? do bench presses for reps and I, I fail miserably. Well, I mean, dude, there's a certain genetic makeup. I mean, uh, ideally, um, you know, being that heavy in the fast switch is, I mean, to me, that's a that's you know, gold standard, you know, that ability to go hard and rest and repeat, you know, playing football, that's what we really wanted. So, you know, but I guess maybe if we could have crossfitted you for like three or four years and we could have had a conversion of fast switch to slow twitch fibers, maybe we could have just who would want that? made you weaker and, and but better at, at more long distance stuff. So, but, you know, that's all Matt wants. He wants to be the strongest scientist at Harvard. I don't have much competition. <laughs> Matt, did you know that? But did you notice in your adolescence that you were you were a fast twitch type of kid? I mean, did you play sports? Yeah, I was. Yeah, but but what's unfortunate, you know, talking about exercise and training, and that in my, in my high school we were exposed to a variety of sports, probably more so than today. But weight training and fast twitch stuff was really not a big part of it. Didn't get a whole lot of gymnastics. Didn't get a whole lot of. Actually, we got no Olympic weightlifting. The one thing that I was good at was the hundred meter sprint. That's the one thing I was exposed to that I knew I was good at. So, but it never clicked. You know, it, we didn't have enough information to to really know that. Oh, if you're good at this, it means that you are like this, and you will excel at these other things. Which was, um, it's really unfortunate. So I discovered sports and training really, really late in my life. I was in my mid twenties when I started weightlifting. I had been just a, uh, you know, fairly. Uh, fairly lazy video game playing kid until then. With a um, like a vegetarian background. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's uh, and you know it's funny because there's so many people that tell a similar story to mine. 
you know, back when I was in high school, I was interested in nutrition, and there's this biology teacher that gave me a book by John Robbins called A Diet for a New America. You've probably heard about it before. And I realized that some of it wasn't, you know, wasn't right, that most of it was propaganda, but I, I still tried it. You know, I was a vegan for two years and then mostly vegetarian for about eight years. And then when I started weightlifting, that was by motivation of my PI. I was working in Eric Jacobson's labs at the time, and, you know, he just walked into the lab and said, hey, I, I bench pressed 200 pounds for 10 reps today. And I just thought to myself, I could do that. And, and that was it, literally. I just I started going to the gym and lifting weights after that. Um, and uh, I had been pretty sedentary until then. And uh, I started eating meat not long after I was started training because I noticed that I wasn't getting anywhere otherwise. I started with fish and then I, I noticed some positive improvements. Uh, then I fell upon you know Gary Taubes' book and I'm like, oh, well, this is interesting. I'll try that. I eventually fell into the paleo diet and then, you know, here I am. So what would you really call it? I mean, your diet today would probably be, you know, in terms of food quality wise, you know, probably a little more dense. And I wouldn't necessarily paleo ask, but, you know, definitely. Uh... So, I, yeah, I've, you know, I think if you watch my 2011 and 2012 AHS talks, it's pretty clear that uh, I'm not enthusiastic about the na the notion of paleo nor the name. Well, I was there. Oh, I was yeah. there. I was sitting in the I know, room. yeah, <laughs> or everything that has to do with it. Yeah. Uh, that's right. You were there at both conferences. Um, I uh, let's talk about this for a second. You know, just so people understand, because I think that when I I talk about shortcomings of certain things, people think that I am against them, and it's not that I'm against them. I'm just literally underscoring the shortcomings of certain things while acknowledging that it can work for others. So, well, what uh, what I don't think people understand a little bit is. Um, you know, everything want, everybody wants everything so black and white, and, you know, with a guy yeah. like Matt, uh, you know, Chemists foods. live in this gray area. In fact, you thrive yeah. in a gray area. If something's gray, there's there's plenty to explore. And that's sure, and, and there's also this idea that if you make a claim, uh, the first, like, if I were to say, hey, Matt, uh, you know, there are, the, the earth is round, he'd be like, bullshit, it's flat. Prove it to me that it's round. That's and right. Then, you, you have you know, to support your claims with, with evidence, and then that evidence has to be available to other people such that they can you know reproduce your experiments and make sure that the results are accurate uh, so the the story that I have is when I started in Eric Jacobson's group I was working right next to a very talented chemist his name was Peter Bockel he's now working for Merca at uh, Rawway in New Jersey and Petter was studying the mechanism of reaction that he himself developed he discovered and developed it was an asymmetric striker reaction using a, an, a chiral uh, thyorrhea catalyst. So he published that piece, uh, that was a Jack's paper, and he then started studying the mechanism of the reaction. So he wanted to figure out how does this work? Because you have to realize a lot, a lot of discoveries in science are serendipitous. You, you discover something, you have an op, you know, if I do X, Y, and Z, I get A as a product, and then you try to rationalize it. You try to reverse engineer it. How does it work? Because I don't know. I just discovered it. So he tried to study the mechanism of it. How does it work? And using uh, certain techniques, you know, NMR, I think a little bit of basic uh, kinetics, he, you know, came up with a mechanism that uh, that was, I think, it was eventually published or at least mentioned in the publication. Later on, another gentleman joined the lab. Petter graduated and left. Uh, his name was Stefan Jund, or Sund, 
and uh, German in nature, uh, although American, his father was German. He decided to study the uh, mechanism of the reaction using uh, other tools, uh, some pretty in-depth kinetic. He did some computer uh, analysis on it, computational chemistry analysis, and he came up with a very different mechanism. Uh, one that was probably much more compatible with the available data, all of the available data, which means that Petter's mechanism, original mechanism, was wrong. But now consider this. If you go to Petter's original publication and repeat the reaction as that exactly as it is written, you will get the result, even if the proposed mechanism is wrong. My view of paleo is very similar to that. If you do paleo, I, I like you know, approaches that are a bit more personal, like a Chris Kresser's personal paleo code, that kind of stuff. But if you do paleo, even the strict Cordain version, chances are that you will get the reported results. My criticism is that the mechanism is wrong. I like to think that this has much less to do with cavemen. And in fact, I've, I've criticized the cavemen argument for being illogical. Uh, and not long after I gave that AHS talk, people wrote books about how illogical that uh, argument was. Uh, but if you do it, you'll get the results. It still works. So just because the mechanism is wrong or how we think it works is wrong doesn't mean that it doesn't work. So people, you know, need to, to take that into consideration when I start, you know, talking about stuff. I don't, I'm not saying that everything is wrong and it doesn't work. I'm just saying that the reasons that have been proposed or how it works are, are wrong. And that's where scientists, you know, thrive. They try to figure out how does this work. And over time, at the first AHS talk, I'm like, well, maybe we should focus on gluten. And, you know, the whole gluten story is very complex. It's clear that some people genetically are intolerant of gluten, but now they're discovering that there's gluten sensitivity as well, one that involves more the innate immune system as opposed to the, you know, the side of the immune system that has the, the memory, which is, you know, which is very interesting. Um, well, man, uh, Matt, Matt, I mean, we've, uh, you know, and you and I talked about this the other day on the phone that, like, you know, people want to subscribe to this idea of nostalgia, that there's this idea, I mean, you see politicians playing to it all, uh, you know, the, you know, play into it all the time. We want to go back to when America had values and this, and they, they paint this picture of, like, you know. That's right, this rosy picture of, of Grok, right? I'm sorry, yeah. but I'm going to call out Marxism on this one. Well, I, I uh, mean, but, but it isn't that what really, like, as soon, you know, uh, because even as a story, like when I first heard the paleo, you know, kind of spiel the deal about for, it's sexy. It it like it makes. I mean, it, it sound. It's a great story. You like have this vision, like manology style of these, like you know, ripped, lean, uh, anthropology. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anthropology, the book, like the guy, you know, running on the Serengeti, the guy at 31 miles an hour who's fucking hawking down this animal, and you know, he's wearing a loincloth and he's on the Serengeti, shredded out, like throwing a spear 300 yards, and the people are like, oh, well, the only difference between that and us is obviously that we just have a different food source, and you're like, no, and that's that's absolutely preposterous. It's of just, course it is. Let me talk about a couple of things. It's funny that you say that because after my initial. AHS talk in 2011 where I criticized the justifications for paleo. This this guy Andrew Bad. Let's let's temper this. When you say criticize, what you meant is curb stomp. So, pretty much. Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. So so Matt says, 
when Matt says criticized, what he means is curb stomp. So <laughs> let's just go on with it. You have okay. to admit the arguments are silly. They're really, really silly. Sure. But, uh, I mean, what, what you did is that you took these people that have built their entire life and existence based on, I mean, there's a dude walking around in, like, a loincloth with, like, no shoes on at that thing, and Matt's basically, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, Get the fuck out of here. I swear to God. Like, the, like people yeah, that were, was Andrew like, Badenoch. Yeah, yeah. I, I so, lovingly referred to him as the kilted narcissist, yes. Yeah, so so Matt just proceeds are to, you, like, Are you going to tell the story of exactly what happened? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, so let's let's break for just a second right here. And uh, and we'll we'll come back and hear the juicy details. In the arms of the hey, Power Athlete Nation! Are you tired of being mistaken for a surprisingly in shape homeless person? Have you ever described your own bare chest as quote a meal without the fixins? Do you ever find yourself reaching for your shirt to tear off mid wad, only to discover you're not even wearing one? If so, you're not alone, which is why Power Athlete would like to extend a premium offer of free shipping with the discount code PARADIOOCT14 at our online store. This deal is only good through November 15th, so be sure to log on to shop.powerathletehq.com. Apply the coupon code PARADIOOCT14 at the time of checkout. Because honestly, a couple parents at your kid's daycare are complaining. Now back to Power Athlete Radio. Okay, Matt, go on. Sorry. Okay, so uh, just coming back after a commercial break, uh, Matt's about to tell us a little bit about his curb stomping at AHS 11. So let's go. <laughs> Which you downplayed, by the way. <laughs> Matt, you still there? I'm still there. Oh, okay, go. And you're on. All right. Um, so there, there was um, sort of a behind-the-scenes. It was all on the web. Uh, some of it was on Andrew Badnock's website, and then the rest was on Facebook. But he was essentially arguing from a selling standpoint, from a commercial standpoint, that the caveman argument made sense. And, and you just said the same thing. It's true. Like, it, it sells really well. My argument was that if you continued to do that, you were not going to be taken seriously from a scientific standpoint, and and you were going to completely lose those guys. That and sure enough, they will probably turn around and and bash you for it. And a couple of people did. You know that those books that came out bashing the paleo diet got a lot of press, a lot of press. And interestingly enough, most of them used arguments that I I, I put forth in my in my talk. They may have even seen my talk and say, hey, I'll write a book about this. Uh, but I had a couple of discussions on the web with Andrew Badnock, and he realized, you know, in, in the post that he was he was losing pretty bad, and he deleted everything. Um, interestingly enough, if you if you go look up that guy today, he's involved in a scandal where he took money to to do a trip around the world. I don't know what, you know, on his own, and he just never did the never made the documentary or whatever. But that that was interesting. Uh, but ideally, I was trying to help. I mean, I am involved in this. I I do is a version of this diet that's very similar to what was originally prescribed. I was just trying to tell them, you guys need to change. You guys need to change your approach. Otherwise, you're going to hurt later on. And there's some people that took that to heart, and there are others that are like, yeah, you know what? This The caveman approach works, and it allows me to sell stuff, and I'm just going to run with it. Can you mention specifically what you had said needs to change? What, what specifically were yeah. you referring to? 
Yeah, so it's the arguments that are used to justify the diet. Uh, okay, okay. I think I think the worst one is the genetic one, honestly. So one argument that you'll hear is that we are genetically, almost genetically identical to our caveman ancestors. Oh, isn't it like point zero 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 two percent from our previous? Uh, yeah, it's it's very you know. small. Yeah. Do you know what the genetic difference is between a human being and a chimp? Uh, isn't it like point zero 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 three percent? It's very small. I think it's point. Some people say two. Some people say point five. You can say two percent to point five percent. It's very small. So should I be eating like a chimp? Should I be hanging from trees? For, as as a workout? I don't know. Uh, if you talk That's to Erwan, I, I think you should. You've got to move that. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> you know. Right. But uh, I mean, it's it, it's it kind of like. I guess the idea, and, and uh, you know, and I know you and I have talked extensively about like you know genes and genetic and and all that, and so I mean even like the, eat, you know, eating for your genetic code and eating for your blood type and a lot of this stuff is like, oh, I mean the only thing worse than that is the people that are like, I spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars to biohack my body. If I hear anybody talk about fucking biohacking, I want to like fucking run into traffic. So, congratulations. Uh, what about the... Figure out how to make money off of those people. Yeah, um, fucking biohackers. Like, what about that's the, the argument like uh, cavemen ate this way and they were disease free? So yeah. So let me get to that. Let me, let me just finish the genetic one. So the for the difference between a chimp and a human has very little to do with uh, the genetic code and more to do with genetic expression. Epigenetics is the big difference. And the human beings that we are today are very different epigenetically. It's impossible that we are the same to those cavemen ancestors. We are in a completely different environment, exposed to completely different stresses, with a completely different food source. There is no way we are epigenetically the same, which is why this whole notion of like, oh, the cavemen had it so easy and whatnot. Hey, if you want to go you know, back and live without the houses, the electricity, all that stuff, hunt your food every day, knowing that your game is going to be far more dangerous than what we were hunting today, you know, living by the campfire, you go and, and sleeping on the dirt and the rocks, you go ahead and do that. But I'll tell you right now, you are not epigenetically very well suited for that. Okay, so now the other argument. Cavemen used to eat, the, eat this. They were disease-free, so if we eat this, we're going to be disease-free. Logical fallacy. The problem is that that is an observation. Yeah. Well, what where it came from was the Weston Price stuff. I mean, Weston Price went and observed these different hunter-gatherer tribes, and then if you look at, like, you know, Lauren Bourdain's work, he's basically you know, looking at this and deducing and uh, there's really no support for it. How do we know? And unless Matt has a time machine that he's working on, which he very well could, there's no way that we're going to be able to go back in, in time 40,000 years and actually be able to have a doctor analyze these people to really know. I mean, so again, I'm not saying that it's completely wrong, right? We know that some of this stuff works. All I'm saying is that if you, as an individual, are using that logic, then why? are you criticizing all of the observational epidemiology that's coming out that's saying that you know meat is bad and saturated fat is bad because they are the same it's an observation yes I, I disagree that you know they should not use that research to support to or to come to conclusions because you can't technically you cannot reach a conclusion it can only be used to generate hypotheses but it is the same damn thing so you should not do that 
you know, a, a, an observation does not equal cause and effect. It's it only yields a correlation. I would even say that the nutritionists that are being chastised by the paleo community, that are being criticized, have better evidence because it is current. Whereas, you know, when you're relying on archaeological evidence, it is really old and there's a lot left for interpretation. It is very, very difficult because you were not you were obviously not there then to observe it. So you have even worse evidence. It's it's kind of it's pretty silly, honestly, when you think about it. Uh, and then you know, lastly, it's like, well, these foods were available before the dawn of agriculture, so we can eat them. And then these foods were available after the dawn of agriculture, and we shouldn't eat that. So you are assuming that everything that was discovered after the dawn of agriculture is not good food. That's a really dangerous assumption. Now. Our track record's been pretty bad, and I think that uh, a lot of researchers have, uh, you know, put forward the idea that you know agriculture we, we just picked the wrong foods. It just so happened that the, the beans and the grains were probably not the best thing to uh, uh, to grow. But nevertheless, I, I would argue that dairy has been a pretty good addition to the diet. So this assumption that you know everything is bad because of a date is is very religious. Uh, in a way, and it's it's scary to me that you know without any further evidence, just because it came before this date, it has to be bad. It has to be good or bad for you. You must get pretty frustrated at the term paleo and the fact that just the word in and of itself perpetuates the idea yeah. of cavemen, right? Because it could be called anything else, but but if you use that term, it it really does sort of, um, it's, it does perpetuate like the fallacy. That's why we call it the power athlete. Diet. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it is an unfortunate uh, choice and it, it obviously was not my choice. You know, most people would think of that as referring to a, a fairly broad era in time and not nutrition. Right. Uh, and even if you were to use it to refer to nutrition, it's kind of, it's kind of silly. In my opinion, Wait, so, yeah. Uh, what's the paleo like? Like, what's the timeline between in, in the Paleolithic era? Like, what, like how many thousand years? years? Yeah, isn't there like it's like uh, it's a pretty substantial amount of time. I would have yeah, to Google yeah, it. Yeah, look it, look it up online. Yeah, I would, I, encourage, I, I would encourage you to look it up online. I think see. it's like forty thousand to like two million years ago. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty broad. 120,000 120, years. To like forty thousand years. Ago, but but I'm, what was the range? Um, the time period range. How long is it? I don't know. Well, I mean, Matt, like they found. Uh, you remember the the obviously the hunter gatherer that they found in uh, I think in the Alps somewhere in Italy, the Iceman. Uh, there was a big thing in Time Magazine a number of years ago about it, and I remember going back and re researching the Iceman, and that was supposedly he passed away or was frozen at twelve thousand years. Dude had extensive cavities, torn ACL, and had some serious problems. And I remember hearing somebody talk and being like, oh, well, that was you know, right around the dawn of agriculture, so therefore that was acceptable, or the Egyptians. Yeah. Oh, so, so let's, and, let's do this exercise. Let, let's use the logic of, like, cavemen used to do this, so we should do that too. Cavemen, because you talked about cavities, cavemen couldn't brush their teeth, so does that mean I shouldn't brush my teeth either? And good luck with only, that. Only if you eat paleo. Yeah. Well, if you if you eat paleo, technically you should not have to brush your teeth. Oh right? no no no! I tried just to make a point. It's an experiment of n equals one. I tried that, and you might think it's I'm insane, but I will go to pretty pretty extensive lengths to make a point, um, and to the dismay of my girlfriend, 
I did try that, and my how dentist... Long, how long did you go without brushing your teeth? One year. Holy the, shit! Oh, the my dentist, God! Wow. The dentist wanted to kill me. Absolutely, because my dentists are, are good friends of mine. Uh, they're back in, like, the hometown that I grew in, a really small town, Rockland, Ontario. Um, and she wanted to absolutely kill me. And I told her, well, I'm not eating any sugar. I'm not doing this. But, you know, whether or not you have cavities depends on the type of bacteria that you have in your mouth to begin with. Did so, you have any cavities? What was that? Did you have any cavities? No, but my teeth were completely stained. Uh, I, I had, like, a plaque everywhere. It wasn't just tartar. It was plaque. It took them a good hour to clean everything. It was bad. Gums were bleeding. Uh, you know, it was inflamed. It, it was bad. It was Luke's, Luke's dad is a dentist. Well, and so... offended as a dentist. So... <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, uh, so Matt actually, um, uh, well, I, I, I talked about the story a few times, but uh, and Matt can, can tell you because he was actually the first one I called. Um, after I retired from the NFL, I was hit up to be in this brain study. And uh, after having gone to the, the, you know, having CAT scans and all these different tests, they came out and told me that, you know, a portion of my brain had been damaged while playing in the NFL. So after I got the, the note from the doctor that, you know, telling me that that part of my brain was damaged and was the part that de dealt with sympathy and empathy, um, I got a, a note. I called Matt and I was like, hey, uh, you know, I got these issues. And of course, Matt, you know, being the conscientious good friend he is, takes a couple of jabs at me and then goes, you know what, I got a, a bunch of researchers, we'll pull some studies and we'll see if we can figure this thing out. And he calls me back a short period later after he probably put the, the, uh, the brand to his monkeys. And we talked about the ketogenic diet being really good for not only um, seizures, for brain disorders and a lot of problems. And that's when Matt and I actually about the same time launched into the ketogenic diet, but we did the high protein version which uh, was not nearly as, as fruitful, but uh, Matt and I both have some pretty hysterical stories about being on this ketogenic diet and continuing to train. And uh, actually, Matt's uh, ice cream story might be the best one I'd ever heard. So, Oh, really? You like that story? And, well, well and I, I had a similar one where I'd been on it for the entire year, and then I went up to go visit Rob in Reno. And Rob's like, you know, it's been a year. Let's, let's just get some sweet potatoes. And so I sat down and I ate like seven massive Japanese sweet potatoes. And as oh, I was so eating good. them, it was like somebody wrapped me in a warm blanket and like gave me a hug and I just very like easily just like fell into like a coma and I woke up the next day and Rob's like, how you feeling? I'm like, amazing. I've never felt so good in my whole life. And uh, it was kind of a similar story. So I figure you, you regale us with that story of you going into a uh, uh, cold stone. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it was actually like a Ben and Jerry's that's in the garage. It's a little place here in the, in Harvard square. Uh, I, I just finished training, and at that time I was following OPT's website, and it was this horrible workout of 800-meter runs with uh, sumo deadlift high poles, and, and I hate sumo deadlift high poles. It has to be one of the worst exercises if you want to get internal internally rotated shoulders and injuries. In any event, I was uh, I was almost passing out after that. Like I, My blood sugar was so low that... I, it, it, it took a while to get out of the gym, and people were actually worried about me. So I went to this, because uh, the, the Hemingway is pretty close. I, I went over and uh, just sat at the counter. They, there were places set up kind of like a bar, and I asked the girl to, to give me like a couple pints of ice cream, the stuff that didn't have any gluten in them. And I'm still you know, wearing my gym clothes, and I just I demolished, absolutely demolished the ice cream. And this girl, who is overweight, is looking at me eat that way, and she's like, what the fuck? Now, how can this guy <laughs> eat in this manner and still be reasonably lean while I'm standing behind the counter overweight? Um, and and that's that is, unfortunately, 
the problem with observations. That that person probably got the idea that I ate like that regularly when that was absolutely not the case, but she was just observing like something in time that was very unlike my typical behavior. Well, Matt, I've heard you tell that story. Um, I've heard you tell that story before, and what I can remember, you during that workout, I think you were saying like you're you were so low on carbs, like you felt like you were in the danger zone after that workout. Yeah, like your I, brain needed all the glucose. Your eyes are rolling back, and your my eyes were rolling back. Yeah, I felt like I was like it wasn't a good thing. Like you were saying, if you're condition. Get, add some carbs in your diet. Yeah, if you're having well, yeah, I mean, heavy conditioning, you know, you're in the glycolytic range, you absolutely need some carbohydrate in there. Well, the, the, the big difference, too, though, is uh, Matt and I have been doing it pretty high protein, so I think we were eating, like, I was I was eating, like, 450 grams of protein, and Whoa. that was yeah. uh Gluconeogenesis was still pretty strong then. Yeah. So, I mean, we weren't necessarily doing, like, a higher fat. So when you look at, like, the the uh, keto, or keto diet, you know, they usually do it at, like, a 70-30, 60-40 split. And that fat actually ends up making it a little more doable, but the way we did it was uh, pretty knucklehead. And uh, dude, I bonked. I mean, I, I would have these just like terrible deals the minute we started conditioning, just just hitting the wall. And uh, it came down to um, you know some really big problems. But at the end of it, the better part is a year later I came out the other side, and when I went and got retested, they couldn't find any trace of the injury to my brain. So there's a situation where the brain healed itself, and I'm not sure necessarily why. Maybe it was a time away or whatnot. But or can we say that that's observational? And it is. Well, we, we, don't know. Yeah, we don't know what it is. It could have been, it could have been a supplement. It could have been the lack of hitting. Uh, it could have been anything. I mean, it could have been 400-meter runs, 50-air squats. I don't yep. know what it was, but a year later when I went back, it I, wasn't did that. Not, I did not have the same. <laughs> Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, you know, just in terms of cognitive stuff, uh, I definitely felt much more lucid, very much more cognitive on the uh, keto or on a ketogenic deal. How I mean, how is that? So that that's actually pretty interesting to me because you would think in the moment while you're going keto, cognitive function would be down. Well, it's it's weird. Like I I just felt much more lucid, and actually for me, I have a slight ADD, and uh, I never like I like the minute I do the ketogenic diet, I don't ever take any medication. And I know when I eat more carbs, my performance is much better. But in terms of like cognitive and like focus and like a little more ADD, it, I, I get it worse. Sounds like you just need to be mellowed out. <laughs> Had to bring you down a notch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take you down a peg or two. A peg or two. But what John is saying is, you know, is fairly common anecdotally. There's a lot of people that'll report that. And then many mechanisms have been put forth. I think the research is still ongoing. Uh, I think it's still debatable, you know, what's going on there. But it, it seems fairly, you know, safe to say that people who have issues with their brains, whether it's a, a lack of, you know, brain fog, uh, not being able to concentrate, ADD, that kind of stuff, that trying a low-carbohydrate diet uh, is probably worthwhile. Um, whether or not it has to be ketogenic, I don't, I don't know. You can, you can try all of it, ketogenic or not. Uh, but, you know, that reminds me of something, something else I'd like to talk about uh, now that we're talking about low-carb and we're talking about, you know, the danger of observations is misinterpreting research that is being read. You have to be really careful about that. Uh, one thing that you need to remember if you're going to read research and, and try to, you know, create a case for for something, 
is that the research is only valid in the context in which it was tested. Uh, and he, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. And I'm sorry, again, I'm not bashing an individual. I'm just saying that this individual made that mistake, and we all make mistakes. I make mistakes, okay? So you, you, want, you want to pick on me, you can pick on me all day. Uh, is that I learn from my mistakes. I make sure yeah, that Halloween 2008, Lalon made a big mistake. What was that? What was his uh, costume? So you know, you you take a, a research paper, and you find that this group of people, if they were given carbohydrate at night before they sleep, um, they slept better. And you can take this one piece of research, and you can spin a book around it called Carb Night and sell a bunch of books, and some people try it, it, it works for them, other people will try it, it doesn't work for them. So why is that? Well, if you look into the mechanism of action, like why is it that the, the carbohydrate was effective for that time? I apologize for the phone. Uh, why is it that the, the carbohydrate was effective at that time? And it turns out that the people that were participating were, you know, police officers, military, firemen, all that kind of stuff that were really high-strung, and that the carbohydrate was helping lower the cortisol a little bit such that they could get quality sleep. Now, let me ask you this. Is the problem the carbohydrate or is the problem the lifestyle? And I think that in a podcast, a second podcast that Rob Wolf had with Kiefer, he managed to to to, to you know make him understand that I guess I guess it is the environment. The problem is the individual. The problem is not the carbohydrate. So even though a low carb diet might be helpful for you, it does not mean that you know low low carb is that the carbohydrates are evil. You have to then look inside. And as I'm looking for alternative explanations for the effectiveness of paleo, I'm realizing that gut microbiota is is huge. Nutrient density is huge, uh, and you know the environment is also huge. And you can try to tie that back to cavemen if you want. And I see plenty of people doing, but it's well, just not so much about cavemen anymore, really. Matt, you brought up a great point about nutrient density in uh, the recent T Nation article, and I just wanted to know if it was true or not. If TC helped you develop that hypothesis that you gave at the AHS deal, because um, you know. In well, the T-Nation thing, he does say that Matt Lalonde that I came up Williams? to the same, he wrote a deal on nutrient density and used Lalonde, and he's like, yeah, Matt, Dr. Matt Lalonde and I have come to the same conclusion when he uses Matt's stuff. So I just wanted to know, did TC give you that idea, or did he help you when you were doing your research? <laughs> uh, no, and that was, that. you know, I gave that talk two years ago, more than two years ago now, uh, and I have never spoken to that individual. I think, they, I, I'm, I'm flattered if the talk inspired him, uh, he should know that the data that I put up there is old, it's now outdated, and I've switched the methodology to, I now use RDI, uh, recommended dietary intake, as opposed to a normalization method to make the uh, measurements unitless. There's a couple of issues that I had with that article. Um, I can't believe I forced myself to read that, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry if that insults people, but T-Nation is really not the place I prefer to spend my time. Uh, and uh, It's more T-Bag Nation, I like to call it T-Bag right. Nation. So. There's, there's this insinuation by the author that nutrient density uh, is somehow related to satiety, and there's other people who have made a very similar insinuation, and I'll tell you right now, there is no solid scientific evidence to support that claim. Not that I can find. 
and I personally think that it is incorrect. Right now, the mechanisms that we definitely do know are involved in satiety are the amount of calories consumed and stomach distension, so how much you know, expansion your stomach undergoes. And then, of course, there's hormonal ca cascades involved in all that, but those two things are fairly important. If Well, wouldn't a higher fat content allow you to stay satiated longer? It, it turns out that from a macronutrient standpoint, protein is the most satiating per calorie per calorie fat is satiating when you eat it but by the time you've you know you're satiated you've eaten a whole lot of calories so per calorie it is actually protein uh, speaking of calories uh, we're gonna do a little ad here okay. <laughs> for one of our sponsors well food co remember in high school when your snack consisted of two frozen burritos and a pack of powdered donuts well, now you're a grown-ass man with a tinge of dignity. That's why Well Food Co. would like to offer you 20% off your entire order when you use the discount code, all capital letters, P-A-Radio-O-C-T-14. It's only available during this episode. Visit wellfoodco.com to pick out tasty grass-fed treats ranging from jerky to chocolate to whey. Again, apply the discount code, capital P-A-Radio, OCT14 to take advantage of this limited time deal. And as always, be well fed. And we're back. So get your calories from Well Food Co. is, is the, yes. what we're well, saying. It's, it's, yeah, um, it's quite possibly the best uh, stuff on the market. So, well I mean, and, and, how, and how much of that too is. Uh, relative to the person. I mean, isn't experience yeah, yeah. part so, of that yeah, so as those, well? Those are a couple of things to talk about. First, let me let me finish what I was saying. Uh, I, I think that the nutrient density is uh, not super important in satiety because imagine the following. A multivitamin. It is very light, has very few calories, it is small, yet it's full of nutrients. So its nutrient density by definition is huge. You take a multivitamin, are you still hungry? Yeah, you're still hungry. Sure. Well, we well, all know that the multivitamin doesn't you know, eliminate hunger. In uh, his, so, uh, in, in his write-up, he listed organ meats uh, as a general deal for like the most nu nutrient-dense food. And, uh, right, which uh, is something that I, I talked about as well. Yeah. yeah, like it, yeah, it will. I mean, you think about like uh, you know eating a liver or kidney or whatever. I mean, like like if you're going to eat like full gras, obviously that would be extremely fatty. But I don't, you know, in terms of safety, I would never pick those foods. Uh, to unless it's fatty liver, which is forced feed. Uh, yes. The liver is typically fairly lean. Yeah, but, but oh, it no, is no, very no, nutrient dense. No. Uh, speaking, you know what? You know, sorry to, to go on another tangent. Speaking of that, uh, I should say there's still, and I know I promised in the talk that I would uh, I would release that information to the public, that nutrient density um, spreadsheet. The problem is that the first people that contacted me were one very rude, and two wanted to make a profit off of the data. So I decided just not to release it, um, because I just I don't want people to do that. They essentially wanted me to give them the data for free, such that they could use them in their apps and other things to make money off of people. Uh, at which point I said uh, no. You, I gave them a, a fairly healthy middle finger response. Well, I mean, dude, we we've had that. I mean, there's there's apps that pull our workouts and obviously charge people and never kick us anything or pay us a dollar. So I mean, people are constantly looking for you know free information. But uh, I think you guys, um, Matt, can you explain a little bit on the nutrient density deal? Uh, I, I was at the AHS talk and got to not only hear it but see the 
bewilderment, awe, and shock on people's faces when they realize what you've done. I don't think people can really understand the magnitude. I mean, I, like, like what, what did you have, like a team of statisticians from Harvard working on that thing? Around no, it, it's pretty simple. It's, it was just a lot of grunt work uh, because the, the way that the – so in case you, don't, you guys don't know, uh, in 2014, just now, the USDA published a, a new spreadsheet that has even more data. It used to have about 7,900, just a little over 7,900 entries, that spreadsheet. Now it has over, I think, 8,600. Uh, and it's, it is now separated in a more user-friendly way. But back then, it was one sheet and everything was mixed together. So I would have to separate everything into food categories because you want to be looking at whole foods. You don't want to be looking at mixed foods, like spaghetti, for example, and, and pasta. That's mixed food. You have eggs and flour and all kinds of other things. So you have to consider everything uh, separately and then only look at the whole foods because the mixed foods are, uh, you know, they're a mixed bag. You're not going to get much information from that, although you can determine whether or not it's nutritious. Uh, and then what I would do is in every food, this is a big equation. You would apply this all at once for each, uh, for each category. But for every food, I would take the amount of, let's say, vitamin A, and I would divide that by the RDI uh, or the RDA, depending. Sometimes the RDI is the RDA. It, it all depends on the nutrient, uh, which would give me a limitless, uh, not a limitless, a unitless number. And then I would add them up for all the vitamins and nutrients that I had, uh, the vitamins and minerals that I had access to. So vitamins A, B, C, D, E, uh, and then all the all the other nutrients, folate and that kind of stuff. And that would give me a score at the end. Now, I could have normalized that, you know, divided it by the total nutrients times 100, but I, I decided not to do that. Uh, just, it, it, it doesn't matter. You either get a clean number that's uh, less than 100 or you get a, a number that's... Uh, you know, in my case, I think it was 14 would have been the max. It really doesn't. It really doesn't matter. So I did that for all the foods. Uh, you know, determined which ones had the higher scores. Uh, the, the talk that you saw at AHS, I actually did not use RDI. I used the normalization, but I wasn't super happy with that. Uh, and um, Stefan Guinet of Whole Health Source has a fantastic blog. You should check him out. He recommended that I use RDI, and I wish I'd done that from the start, but. It's unfortunate. There's still to this day people that email me and say, so why didn't you use RDI? I'm like, yeah, I, I did. I just I did it afterwards. If you want the RDI version, you're going to have to buy the uh, the seminar on OPT's website because in there it's recorded as the IDI, as, you, as the RDI and you have all the, the correct numbers. The guy in the T, the T Nation post has my old numbers, which um, they're not like completely wrong, but I have different numbers now that are slightly different. So that's essentially what I did. It, it's simple. It was just like a lot of grunt, of grunt work. Uh, segregating everything and, and running the calculations and stuff and making the graphs. When you did something, what, like 6,000 foods? There was 7,900 and some foods, yeah. So he basically ran equations. <laughs> which which I separated, you know, one at a time into, I forget how many categories I had. There's so many categories. Unfortunately, I have to redo that now because they just published a new one. Um, so I have to redo all of that. <laughs> Awesome. So are you just so you're sitting in the lab just going line by line and on a spreadsheet, or are you putting that down on your intern? Oh, this was done at home. Really? This, this is done on my spare time. Yeah, I, my job at Harvard is very very different and has nothing to do with nutrition. I'm I'm a scientist. I'm a chemist. I teach and I train. Uh, and and some of the like most fun stuff that I do actually is that I train chemists on how to use 
some of the most dangerous chemicals in a safe manner. Like stuff that if you have in a syringe, it's a clear liquid, but if it touches air, like if you squirt it out, you literally have a flamethrower. Let's let's hear about that. Let's hear more about that. You want to hear more about that? Everybody loves it. Sounds like Luke's penis in college. Yeah. We called it uh, in fuego. In fuego. <laughs> uh, hey Matt, like the uh, the other thing we were rapping about the other day, and, and this is kind of killing me a little bit. I remember you know years ago when we sat down and really started talking about gluten and really the effects on not only the you know uh, like the small intestine and inflammation and that. Uh huh. You know, and it seemed pretty cut and dry, and uh, you know from that point, you know the idea that whether or not you exhibit reactions to gluten, they're still having problems on, on a different level. And it seems now that within the last like two years, there's been this huge pushback from people being like, well, if, if you're not a celiac, then technically uh, gluten doesn't hurt you. And it's a uh, fucking, you know, red herring. And, uh, you know, these, these people that are talking about gluten. That's, that's a good question. Stuff. There's a lot of stuff to talk about there. So first Let's and foremost, uh, recently, one of the scientists, and I say one because there's a lot of people involved in this that kind of started the gluten scare, recently published another article saying, you know what, I, I think that the carbohydrates are actually more damaging than the gluten. And what he meant by that is that for people who didn't have a, a genetically set reaction to gluten, the fermentable carbohydrates were the problem. But now you start looking at gut microbiota, and that research is still ongoing, and that's still really complicated. And it looks, again, like it's not the carbohydrate, it's the, it's the person. It's the gut microbiota that is the issue. Uh, so if let, and so let's say that you're not gluten-sensitive. The gluten-sensitive are the people that will react to gluten but do not have celiac disease, do not have like a genetically set reaction to it. Let's say that you're not celiac, you're not gluten sensitive, your gut microbiota is fine, and you can eat wheat and not have any issues, which is my case. I can I can eat anything. I'm a I'm a real garbage can. I mean, you could throw anything at me and I can eat it, no problem. Uh, the question I get is, well, should I still be eating it? And that's where the nutrition the nutrient density piece is really interesting. I'm like, well, I guess you can, but it's it's really not that nutritious relative to other things that you could be eating. I would rather you get your carbohydrates from, you know, tubers, potatoes, sweet potatoes, uh, starchy vegetables and, and squash and that kind of stuff, which is much more nutritious than, say, wheat or corn. Um, so it's really nice to have all of these different angles to look at food as opposed to just this one thing of if it came before this date, I can eat it, and if it came after this date, I can't eat it. Uh, the, but the gluten sensitivity, I would say, is it's real. So is celiac disease. Those things are real. Um, but they've unfortunately been used to justify gluten avoidance in everybody. And as a result, people are now pushing back because they think it's too extreme to the, to the point where, you know, South Park has a, a gluten sensitivity issue and you have to laugh at that. They did a pretty good job. Yeah. It was, you know when South Park gets to it, you know. You, you know gone. it's gone too far, yeah, yeah. Too because far. they take it the furthest. They just, yeah, they cross the finish line with it. I mean, my, you know, my big deal is, is there a performance benefit from, from eating gluten or perform or gluten? Right, well, that's, and that's a really pragmatic way of looking at it and a way that I would encourage more people to think in that manner. See, you look at a food and you say, do I really have a benefit from eating this or could I be eating something better that would have the same thing? And, and wheat is totally one of them. Okay, I've got carbohydrate in here, but can I get fiber, fermentable carbohydrate, and more nutrients in another food? Yeah, you can. So from a pragmatic standpoint, why are you eating that? 
no, some people will tell me, well, hey, it tastes good, and then you know, I'll wave a flag at them and say, oh, by the way, well, food addiction is also a big part of what's wrong with today's today's society. Well, well pe and, people relate, you know, like like just like we talked about nostalgia, uh, you know, in terms of the paleo stuff. There's no more, there is nothing more powerful with food than nostalgia. No, uh, I, that's you know, true. We, I, I, I tell the story at our seminar about a, a lady who, um, very, very wealthy client of ours, uh, asked me to not only give her son a basic nutrition talk, but actually wanted me to teach him how to cook. And for those of you guys know, uh, to hire me to be a personal nutrition educator and to teach you how to cook and take you to the grocery store and show you how to shop is pretty fucking expensive. Um, so she, uh, I told her, I'm like, there's no way I'm not going to do it. And she's like, well, I'm going to hand you a blank check. You write the number. And so I wrote down a pretty substantial amount of money. And she said, good uh, money. She had cooking. She didn't know. And she was nervous about her son. So I meet the kid. He's uh, 17 years old, 140 or sorry, 245 pounds, really big kid. Never done any How sports. Tall? Uh, like six, four, six, three. Okay. Big, not bad. Yeah, yeah, but uh, so first thing I look at the kids, start talking to them a little bit. Um, you know, we start talking a little bit on nutrition, uh, taking the grocery store, walk through it. Um, my next thing is, hey, I really want you to go get his blood work done. I think it'd be a lot easier if I could look at this. And so she ends up taking him to the doctor. We get the blood work. I see him two weeks later. He brings it in. And so I'm looking at this. The first thing I see is his fasted blood glucose was 138, I think. Oh, boy. And like C-reactive protein, everything was off the chart. So I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, you ever heard of the term diabetes? And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard about it. I was like, well, yeah, I was like, so what do you know about it? And he's like, oh, my grandfather got both legs amputated from diabetes before. Wow. And I was like, oh. And he's like, yeah, and uh, my aunt is blind from diabetes. I was like, oh. And then the kid kind of gets a solemn look and is like, oh, why? I'm like, well, um... Fats of blood glucose of 138 or whatever it is. I mean, I started talking about over 140 degeneration of the optical nerve. I'm like, dude, you're, you know, I, I don't believe in the pre-diabetic thing. You're either fucking diabetic or you're not. I'm like, dude, you are, you know, 17 years old, going to be saddled with this thing. And so then we start getting, you know, talking a little bit more about it. I tell him, you know, uh, you know, diabetes disease of carbohydrate. And I kind of go through this whole deal and, um, you know, start asking about a sleep pattern. It turns out the kid's really into video editing and, you know, likes to make videos, YouTube stuff. Stays up every night till 3 or 4 in the morning and goes to bed at like 3 or 4 in the morning after fucking around the computer. Wakes up at 7 o'clock to go to school. Goes down, eats like 3 or 4 of the, uh, you know, what are they, like the pre-made sausage and egg McMuffin things that are frozen and kind of goes through this whole deal. And... Um, you know, I end up getting to it. I'm like, you know what? Uh, the only way we're going to you know, ramp this thing up and not get you on medication, I start laying out the diet, which was, you know, very power athlete-esque. Like, here, you're going to have to earn your carbs and kind of go through the whole deal. And uh, the kid looks at me and goes, um, what about chocolate cake? And I'm like, yeah, I don't think chocolate cake's on your recipe for a while. And uh, he's like, well, my grandmother has made me this chocolate cake, like, every year for my birthday. Are you saying I can't eat it? I'm like, no, you're probably not going to get chocolate cake. Kid starts crying. And uh, I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, this must be pretty damn good chocolate cake. Uh, and the kid's like, you know, are you saying my grandmother did something that was going to hurt me? And I'm like, yeah, actually she did. This chocolate cake and all this bullshit, that's what's pushing you down this uh, road of diabetes. Kid starts crying even more. And at which point I'm like, when's your birthday? And this was like, you know, right before the school year. This might have been July or August. His birthday was like in May. So this kid was crying about a chocolate cake that he wasn't going to have for the next 10 months. At that point... I realized that, dude, food addiction and nostalgia and how people relate it. I mean, at the seminar, 
I'm like, give me a holiday that doesn't revolve around food. Halloween, candy. Thanksgiving, turkey. Christmas, goose. New Year's, you know, uh, you know, like President's Day. I mean, everything is revolved around food. You invite people over. I mean, it's ingrained itself such nostalgia with food and different things that, you know what, like, it, it plays back to this idea of harking back, you know, homemade apple pie and mom. It's just, uh, it's... It, I mean, we're fighting an uphill battle, I mean, but it's this idea that these foods and this whole way of eating has weaved itself into our culture and into our mindset with nostalgia. And it's, uh, I mean, we see it with the paleo stuff and maybe, you know, maybe you fight nostalgia with nostalgia. Maybe that's why the paleo stuff is kind of working in a lot of ways in terms of like getting people, I mean, you know, like Matt, you're always looking for the mechanism and the reason. And like, you know, I mean, at this point, I don't really care how people get there as long as they get there. And I, but I think like giving people bad information on purpose is wrong, but I mean, maybe we got to fight some nostalgia. Well, if people are feeling better and they're they're eating better, they're they're probably more liable to make better decisions too. So it's sure. like a cyclical thing. It's like sure. multidimensional. Well, I mean, we I, I you know we run into it with our with he, uh, who's one of you know our really only personal client, and uh, comes in and trains with us and trains us makes homemade moonshine, which is pretty good. And uh, he comes in and he's he's another one. He's just you know I feel depressed. I eat. You know, food is really the comfort, and it's like. I mean, and I know that's kind of hard for, I mean, Matt's probably sitting here shaking his head. He has no idea about this stuff. But in a lot of ways, it's true. I mean, people associate, like, a better time, a better place, something, you know, comforting with food. And it's, uh, it's a scary thing. Oh, I'm shaking my head because I agree. And we have to be really careful because we're not professionals. I, and I don't claim to be a nutritionist. I'm not an RD. I'm just someone who reads a lot of science about nutrition and, and tries to bring the science back to nutrition, if you will. Um, but but this is very complex and no joke and I don't think that any of us are properly equipped to deal with these kinds of situations. I'm not a psychologist. I, I can't you know I, I can tell you what I think you should be eating to be healthier, but it's, you know this is a very serious issue that you know most people are probably going to have to rely on social networks and you know, like help from friends and family and other techniques to, to really to really solve. Uh, I know for myself I was pretty lucky in that I grew up with my grandparents and my grandmother cooked the blandest food you could possibly imagine. Like everything was boiled. It was boiled vegetables, boiled meat, everything was uber bland. So I, I'm not someone who's like looking for something sexy or sweet or or whatnot for, to eat it. If, if I go back home and my mom still cooks the same way my grandmother used to, makes me the super bland meal, I'll eat it and, uh, and I won't complain. It was bland, but hey, it was food. Uh, but for those people who have, uh, especially those that have been conditioned where dessert is a reward, you know, you, you behave properly, you get dessert, uh, later on in life, that's, that's a very real problem and that uh, can be fairly difficult to deal with. I'm not even going to pretend like I know how to deal with that. Well, the, the other one that uh, kind of blows me away a little bit is, you know, so many of the cues, especially on dieting and a lot of these things are always, you know, played off of, you know, like the guy who's fat and now he's skinny or he's ripped and the bodybuilder who's actually shredded 3% body fat. Um, and the funny part is, is a lot of the diet and a lot of this kind of you know, uh, nutrition recommendations and this and this is how we do it is put out by guys that are one on a tremendous amount of drugs 
and are yeah, you, yeah you that know. is unfortunate. So that you you think that if and that's another you know area another instance where the observation and the, and the correlation don't necessarily live up to the, the result, right? So this guy eats this way. And is this ripped? So if I eat that way, I'll look just like that. Wrong. You know what you don't know is that the guy is on anabolic drugs, and that's that's why the person looks that way. He's uh, you know he's uh, Lasix, like uh, you know diuretics, a bunch of drugs, uh, you know fucking an hour of cardio, you know for you know deal, and then oh no, I just uh, you know I fucking backload my carbs suppository style, so you got to, like, find a way to get them in there. I mean, it's just, it's, I, like, I see this fucking nonsense left and right, and it's like, there's, at some point with the nutrition stuff, there has to be some common sense, and I think, like, you know, the one thing that I really learned from Matt is, like, you know what, like, simple, you know, like, here, like, like you know, stick with the stuff that actually is proven and makes sense. A lot of this kind of, like, you know, preposterous and fucking wild stuff, because it just... It's it's really how people sell books, and more importantly, it's how people get kind of mass hysteria. That you know, all of a sudden, like the uh, the big one is the other day. I was wearing our uh, Paleo brand shirt, an old one, and this guy was like, "Oh, Paleo, Paleo, that's the deal where you put butter in your coffee." <laughs> it's, it's crazy that's, what people will associate. That's, yeah. that's what the guy and then the guy wanted to talk to me for ten minutes about have that adding butter and special oil to your coffee, and I'm like, "You mean like MCT oil?" He's like, yeah, it's special oil. That is how you get in good shape, and that's how you get healthy. It's butter in the coffee. So, Matt, and I, 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 and like, I lost my fucking mind. I was like, I, I just gotta go. Um, I know the guys are gonna ask you a couple of kind of fun questions here, but sort of on the same vein of what we're talking about, you made a comment earlier that I think probably really resonates with a lot of people, which is you have to understand the context of what certain studies are done in or who's producing it or the other articles associated with it. And, you know, I think that short of reading 7,000 articles that sort of revolve around that subject matter to really get a comprehensive view of whatever the study is, what would you suggest that people do to... Uh, you know, be a little more proactive in avoiding the noise and uh, getting a better understanding for whether it's for their health, for paleo, or um, sort of just kind of shoring up their understanding of, of, of these fads that are out there. I mean, do you have anything short of, like I said, reading like a thousand I mean, articles? Yeah. Which, yeah, unfortunately, that's what I do, so you're making me feel real good about myself. No, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I do uh, have to, you know, check all the research, but I will tell you right now, if anyone, I don't care within what context, says that all you need to do to be healthy is this one thing, you either need to eat this one thing or avoid this one thing or do this one thing, you can be sh pretty sure that they are quacks. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for example, the whole, you know, red meat, not white meat, not, not seafood, red meat will decrease your lifespan on this planet, you have to question that fairly heavily, especially when red meat was most likely involved in our evolution and in a very positive way. You know, you, you have to say, okay, you know, you, you need to give me a mechanism here. Nothing's been proposed so far. What's right. going on, right? So there's, you have to be very, very skeptical of things like that. Like the sweeping generalizations should be uh, like a red flag to people. Dude, I, I, I saw a guy the other day on uh, on Twitter uh, who is a big like raw food guy, and his fucking con 
contention is that salt is the rune of modern man that's putting salt on your food, hard and dark, and it went through all this shit, and it was salt. Interesting. And, let, uh, me, let me get back to that, actually. So, you know, going back to your point, Callie, we have to be careful if we as individuals say, well, all you need to do is avoid wheat. Don't say that. Right. But you, you have to give a good reason. It's like, look, there's all these foods that you could be eating, and of these foods that you're eating, you know, wheat can be problematic because of, you know, the gluten in some people, the fermentable carbohydrates in others. It's a poor source of nutrients. It's used to make a lot of calorically dense, hyperpalatable foods that are addictive. You know, you cover all those things, and then, you know, like, okay, all right, I've got, you know, I've got something to lean on. But if it's just like, don't eat red meat, it's going to kill you, then... Sure, and you, you have to provide... We, and this yeah. is what I've been criticizing about the paleo movement. We have to make sure that we don't become the people we're criticizing. That's a good point. All right. True. Well, Creating uh, a value for story. this next portion, oh, God. we have a few questions to test Matt Lalonde's knowledge of pop in modern culture. Which is directly, I saw an article is directly correlated to intelligence. Yeah. So the higher your pop culture knowledge you lost, is, me, you lost me at pop culture. <laughs> All right then. All right, Luke, number one. All right, number one. Matt, you ready? Oh my God. I, I will I gotta, never be ready for this. My knowledge of pop culture stopped when I left high school. In February of 2014, <laughs> which professional football team won the Super Bowl? Oh, wait. Um, I'm going to give you options. Yeah. Okay. You got the Broncos, Seahawks, Jets, or Cowboys. Oh, was it the Seahawks? Ding, 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 ding. ding, ding, ding. Wow, how did I know that? Are they from Atlanta? No, from <laughs> where <are> they? <laughs> They're from Seattle. That's the one. Yeah. All right. All right. In which I think country... I heard people at the gym talking about that. Seahawks uh, City. It's quite. It's quite possible <laughs> that yeah, people were talking about the Super Bowl. You know, going back to what we were saying at the very beginning of the podcast. Being a strong geek puts me in a very awkward position because when I go to the gym and I start talking chemistry to the jocks, I'm a nerd, but then to the nerds, I'm a jock. You know what? You are just a unique snowflake. I like that paradigm. Floating through the, the air. All right. Question number two. In which country, these are lobs, in which country did the Winter Olympics take place in 2014? Bosnia, uh, Russia, Sweden, or Chile? Wherever Sochi was at. Well, okay. Right. Best guess. Where is Sochi? Is that it's either Russia or the other one? Bosnia? I don't know. We'll flip a coin. Uh, I say Russia. All right. Ding, 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 ding. Bosnia is not hosting a. <laughs> All right. <laughs> question three. I'm excited for the last one. So there, we got uh, five total questions. The third question. What was the flight number oh, of Malaysian airline commercial plane that went missing in March 2014? Nobody would know this. I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. No one knows it? No. That's hey. a tough one. What? 370. This okay. is not a pop culture. Because that was a popular thing in our That's culture. Like, so you have to be like a savant to remember <laughs> which, that. Which flight? Uh, I, I thought there was more than one. Well, that was, this one was the one in March. I thought pop culture was like Britney Spears and crap. Yeah, right? Okay, fine. Yeah, awesome. yeah, so clearly we know your taste. So being that you're a Britney guy. Uh, well, I, I gave you my list of songs, so you know my tastes. Which of the following is not a Kardashian sister? Oh, Chris, yeah. Kim, Kaylee, Chloe, or Courtney? 
I know that the, the I know the main one. Um, so Chris m might not be one. You going with Chris? Yeah. That is wrong. Uh, no, that's Chris correct. Is Chris is the mom. I know Kim is a Kardashian. Oh, okay, then I fucked that one up. Yeah, you so did. <laughs> Kaylee was the one that was listed. So yeah, she's a she's a either way. Okay, so Chris, you're right. So you're right, and I'm wrong. You're right or right. So Lalan clearly watches the Kardashian show. Yes. <laughs> That's what we can infer from. <laughs> That's not <that>. observational. <laughs> all right. So uh, are they all named with like K's and C's yeah. on purpose? Okay. No, well, the, the pattern, the pattern was very easily discernible there. <laughs> well, Chris is spelled with the K for the record. Oh, okay. Not in. But uh, all right, now the final one. Um, there is no right answer. You determine the right answer here, all right. Lalan. All right. Of the top five candies purchased for 2014 Halloween holiday, which would you consider to be the healthiest? <laughs> There's no such thing as healthy candy. Well, just listen. It's a continuum. Yeah. So where would yeah. you rank these on a continuum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so just so give us have, the top. You have Kit Kats. Okay. Chocolate bars, Snickers, M&Ms. And Reese's peanut butter cups. Just think, Matt, your years of education have led you to this moment. <laughs> okay, I think I think the best one would be the Reese's peanut butter cup. I'm going to yes, let's crush it. It probably has butter. because of the peanut butter, it probably has a, a little less like sugary junk and a bit more protein in it. See, I was thinking Hershey's chocolate bars. Uh, we're looking at macros, huh? Oh, I was thinking peanut M and M's. Yeah. Well, does he say peanut M and M's? No, he did not say peanuts. No, no, he said M and M's. And no, those that's are chocolate filled. Right. If they were peanut M and M's, would that be the best choice? Probably. Possibly, yeah. It's got a whole food now, in there. No, no, Matt. With with peanuts, are you still mad at the peanut, or is the peanut okay? Did the peanut the peanut get out Wait, of jail? You know what? The the peanut is uh, is nutrally uh, nutritionally pretty dense. Um, if if you have a peanut allergy, avoid it. the The one <laughs> problem the one problem with nuts is that people tend to mindlessly overeat them, especially yes. if they're salted nuts. You know they're they're watching TV or something like that, and they just like, keep going and going. Uh, so that's the danger with the nuts. They're very easily overconsumed. But aside from that, the, now the, the peanut, yeah, it's a legume, but if you don't have any intolerances to that legume, then I just go ahead and eat it. Yeah, but it, uh, didn't we talk about like a carbohydrate-based lectin that acts similar to gluten in the small intestine with the legumes? No, no. So, right, um, the, the peanut lectin is probably the, the most allergenetic factor in the peanut, uh, but if you don't have a peanut allergy, then there's it's not an issue. Let's crush some Reese's peanut butter Let's fucking go get them. and M and M's. No, no, I'm not. No, see, this is. were good. Let's go eat a thousand. No, that's not what I said. That is an extrapolation of of my statement. The and peanut is the bacon of 2015. Right, I just I just sent it out to the 10,000 people on our newsletter. <laughs> I, I will peanuts. tell you when I had uh, breakfast at Lalonde's house, it was awesome because we had this like thick cut bacon that was like a quarter inch thick yeah. and and duck eggs. Oh, wow. yeah, duck eggs are extremely rich and they're mass and they're they're pretty big. So uh, yeah. dude, I went over to Lalonde's house. We probably had a 80% fat meal, 20% protein, and it was pretty good. Yeah, those duck eggs and that bacon came from a butcher shop that is uh, native to here. They've always been in the Boston area. They started here. They're called Saveners. So if you ever visit, uh, you can get some really good stuff at that store. 
Well, this has been awesome, Matt. Yeah, thank, thank you so much for um, uh, tolerating the the poor questions and then the good ones, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, no problem. There's plenty of stuff that we could keep talking about, but uh, oh, I, y'all have to. Yeah, maybe we'll sign up here, and you know what? We'll leave it open for a second date. Sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, <laughs> I, got, I hope we get a call back. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, Callie's crossing her fingers. I, I hope we get a call, at least a text, maybe later. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it, brother. All right. You're welcome. You've just been listening to Power Athlete Radio. For more information on this podcast and to take advantage of our comprehensive training resource, visit www.powerathletehq.com. Bye.